Welcome back to this Action RC podcast summer series. Well, summer for us down under, but not so much for other parts of the world. And today's guest who joins me from a deep northern hemisphere winter, where I've heard it's about to snow. I am joined today by a man who essentially needs no introduction other than his name, Scotty Ernst. The global voice of RC racing and accomplished race organiser, who with his partners lies behind series such as the Euro Off-Road Touring and Nitro Series, US Carpet Off-Road Champs, the International Indoor Champs, the Chili Bowl Dirt Oval Race, we'll talk about that in a sec, and a thousand other races, including, of course, the Asia On-Road Championship that kicks off again early this year after a bit of a hiatus. We're going to dig into all of that, some of Scotty's own racing background, and maybe pick out a couple of the most significant races he's seen and called and witnessed in his 30-plus years in the sport. For now, though, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show the one and only Scotty Ernst. Scotty, welcome. Well, thank you very much. That's quite a quite an introduction. I, I don't know if I can live up to all of that, but thank you very much. I appreciate you asking me to be on the show. Oh, I think you'll do all right. You've been around and I think you've, uh, <laughs> the evidence suggests you know what you're on about. Uh, so that's well, good. Thanks. But you, I gather you're just back from an epic, like is it eight or 10 day race or something that the RC Chili Bowl, uh, I've never heard of it. I'm not a dirt oval guy. Before we kind of get into anything else, what's that race and, and how'd it go? Um, it is, it's uh it's an exhausting, grueling event. Um, pretty much the biggest event that I produce. Okay. And, um, it's, um, so dirt oval, it's, uh, I know they do race it down there in Australia yeah. and New Zealand, you know, a little bit, but yep. it's a big thing here in America. And for many years, I think 30 plus years or something, there has been a full size event at this, uh, ex- exhibition oh, center okay. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they rent this massive thing. I don't know, a million square feet or something. It's just massive. And they bring in dirt and bleachers and they, they put on a big race. Okay. So I don't know, 2008 or so, there was a local guy that lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma said, Hey, we should do an RC race. So a bunch of guys got together, they put on a race and it grew and grew and grew. And then, um, nine years ago, it just got kind of overwhelming for them and, you know, they were just hobbyists wanting to do, yeah. have some fun and they had some problems and the racers were just downright, just mean to the guys because yeah. they were just trying to, trying to have fun. So they said, Hey, we're out. Yeah. So word got to me. I said, man, I love it. Cause dirt oval is what I started with when I started okay. racing. And I learned more about the event and a big race next door. And I, I kind of had a vision in my mind of, of what I wanted to to, to get the full scale guys to recognize our little race. And throughout the nine years, it's grown and grown. Uh, you know, Andrews were a couple hundred when he first started, and then it grew and grew and grew. And now it's, uh, you know, over 500, almost, you know, on our way to 600 someday. And it's, it's, uh, it's a great event. Um, but it's just, uh, it's a something I'm really proud of. And we had a great event this year. I think our best in the nine years. Fantastic uh we're two minutes in and i'm off script already because you just said there that you had a you had a vision for what could be and so i'm so i kind of almost want to preempt you know we're going to talk about a bunch of things and some of the big races you're involved in but i guess i want to know right up front like where does that vision that imagination you know of what might be for you come from is you know is that how important is that to you of being able to see hey here's this little dirt oval race what could we do with this uh strikes me that vision's pretty important in what you do 
Yeah, to to me it is. Hmm. I guess when I, you know, I I I fell in this hobby, fell in love with this hobby. You know, when I got out of the military in the eighties and uh, ended up owning a shop for and track for twenty years and things, and then started organizing events. And I just, I know how amazing our hobby is, hmm. and owning a shop and racetrack and having a daughter who grew up in the shop. I knew the benefits of the hobby beyond just the competitive side, yeah. you know, to get youngsters into the hobby. Cause you know, life, when you and I grew up, you know, we were riding our bikes, we were fixing our bikes. We were holding tools in our hand. <laughs> Kids nowadays, they work on their phones and they play computers. Um, they have no, um, I don't know what the right physical skills, but you know, mechanical yeah, skills yeah. to yeah. You know, or they, what a, would a player and a ratchet and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So, I saw the good side that it does for kids and I wanted to just try to get the word out and expose our hobby as much as we, we can to people outside the know and outside our hobby. And, yeah. you know, I had this opportunity to get involved in the chili bowl and I'm like, wow, there's absolutely dedicated motorsports fans, you know, a quarter mile away in this other building. And I'm like, man, if we can get them to come in, you know, and get, you know, there's tens of thousands of people that go through there. And if we can get, you know, a half a percent of those to come over and pay us some attention, man, that's more business. There's more racers. Yeah. There's yeah. dads and kids that want to get in. So it's just, I guess, my passion for mm. the hobby and mm. want to try to expose it to more and get more people into it. Well, you've been in the hobby for such a long time and your social media biases, RC has been my passion for the past 32 years. It's become my career. You bleed passion for the sport, and you've given us a couple of clues there. I'm, you know, I'm curious about what is it that you are so passionate about? Like, what what do you love the most? Is it that sense of you know getting kids involved in something with their hands? Is it the competition? Is it what are the things about RC that you, Scotty Ernst, love the most? Boy, I could I could list so many. If we go to when it first started, you know, just the. I've always been a race fan, you know, watching NASCAR back in the, you know, in the way old days, hmm. you know, um, and, and motorsports and stuff, Indy cars and things like that. I've always been a motorsports fan. And then when I, I walked into the first RC race, I was just, I, I don't, you know, it was so long ago. I, I mean, my, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, I tell a story, you know, bowling used to be my hobby. We were in Milwaukee. Milwaukee was like the, the epicenter of bowling. And, you know, when I got a Navy, bowling was my hobby. Friday night, it didn't matter what I was doing. I was going bowling. And uh, I walked into a racetrack in 1988, and uh, I haven't touched a bowling ball since. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it just shocked me. And then when I, um, the track that I was a participant and would go race at, he was going out of business in 93 and I've always been kind of business oriented. Never went, you know, I went to school and went right into the military. And so I've always wanted to be in business and had a chance to just kind of buy this guy out as he was doing it and, you know, try to take it and, and give people a good experience when they came in a shop and we grew it uh, from the little place it was to, I ended up having it a little over 20 years. Um, and I just saw the, the, the families that come in yep. and just, you know, Christmas time, parents come in and like, Oh, 
you know, there's that truck there. Oh my goodness. $200. And, you know, as a, obviously a businessman, I'm trying to sell yeah. not only the front of the hobby, but just trying to get a sale. And I said to the parents, I says, you, you bought them the latest Nintendo or, you know, PlayStation or whatever. Like, yeah, and that's $300 and a, yeah. a game they play for $60 that they play for two weeks and they've mastered it and it goes in a, in a bin, you know, and, um, so trying to get parents to understand the benefits that they get from the hobby and then for other, other adults, just, uh, that love motorsports to, mm. man, you can race a car and get the same adrenaline and excitement and frustration and everything. <laughs> that you watch oh, the, the frustration. Big guys yeah. Oh, absolutely. But you know, the joy when you, when you yeah. do win that race and things like that, then the, the friendships you make and, and you know, you know, you go to a big race, it's not only the race and that's the fun It's the sitting across the table from your guy that maybe you see once a year, he's from the other part of the country and he gets to share stories and your love for the hobby. It's, it's those things that, that really drive me. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's a lot to love in in that story and and in the hobby and and you're, you're totally right. I've often reflected that there are so many different ways to love this hobby that you know for some it's the art of painting or it's the mechanical side of it or it's the social side, it's the competition, you know, whatever it is. There's so many ways to love it. Tell me a little bit more about the shop, uh, the track, and the was that called Trackside? Have I have I got that? Oh, have I got that wrong? Uh, What's, yeah, yeah, Trackside. Nope. So what sort of racing was it? On road, off road. Um, bit of both. How did it? How did it sort of develop? Uh, it started out at dirt oval. So when I took okay. it over in '93, it was a dirt oval, yep. and we would run uh, uh, gold tub RC tens. You know, converted to run uh, you know dirt oval type bodies. Yep. And then there were some companies that uh, had uh, dedicated made cars just for this. And then uh, we ended up having to move. And, um, I, I got my first business lesson. I made an agreement with the landlord of this shopping mall and everything, and I didn't have a lawyer present. So, uh, yeah, come, uh, come the end of the first year, they, uh, give me a 30 day get out notice. Oh, and I said, no. This is not what we agreed upon. Uh, we don't know nothing about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I learned my first business lesson early and then we moved and then I ended up putting carpet in Okay. and then we started uh carpet oval. And then that was just when the Tamiya cars, their on-road stuff yep. really started. So this would have been 94. Yeah. yeah. Tamiya started with their TAO2s, TAO1s. Yep. The big the touring F4 car blow-up, yeah. Exactly. And the Formula yep. 1, all that stuff. So we started running on-road, and it was uh, it was awesome. Um, and Tamiya started, uh, they had a worldwide series called Tamiya Championship Series. Yep. That's right. And they would run it in America, pretty much out in California. And they'd come to the, the east, the Midwest and the Eastern side, but only in the summertime. And they'd run in parking lots and stuff. And it took me a couple of years to convince them that, listen, we race on carpet. This side of the Mississippi River, which is kind of not the center, but like the dividing part of America. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we race in the wintertime indoors on carpet. Give us a chance to have a race. Yeah. And finally, a couple of years, they did. And for, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years or whatever, each year our race was the biggest attended event of the, uh, of the whole, of the whole series in America. So on road became a really big part of it. And then I started running on road. As I said, I started with dirt oval, yeah. then I started on road and I fell in love with the Tamiya series and stuff like that. Uh, traveled to California, run the, the national championship. I won that, uh, and modified touring many years ago 
and got to go to Japan and, and all that. Oh, so it, uh, so that was some of my earlier fun that really kind of started the competitive side of the hobby shop. And then it just grew and grew and grew. We moved again in 2001 and, um, carpet kind of died in, uh, carpet on road racing really died there about 2010, 11. I had two tracks in our shop, a uh, big carpet and then a small off-road in the back section of it. Okay. And then we decided to, uh, make, pull up the carpet, put dirt in it. Yeah. And it's been, uh, that was the smartest move I've ever done as the business owner. And it just, uh, yeah, it just packs them in. And still to this day, the, the people that I sold it to, uh, you know, are doing great with it and off-road is, is where it's at. It's such a particular thing for the rest of the world, you know, to look at the U.S. and go, those those incredible indoor off-road tracks are such a particular thing, you know, that we look at the U.S. and go, oh, if only we had those here. Um, and they they pop up from time to time. But, you know, there is that. It's a very U.S. kind of thing, that beautiful indoor clay um, off-road racetrack. I can imagine uh, you'd be packing the punters in there uh, for sure. There's a couple of things just want to pick up there. One was uh, for that, that Tamiya Cup. So, you know, obviously the evidence there, Scotty, that you're not only a gun behind the microphone, but you did all right uh, with a transmitter in your hand as well. Um, and for listeners who want to dive a bit more deeply into that Tamiya Championship Series racing, a couple of episodes ago, we spoke with a guy called Andy Cook, who has been building a beautiful Masami replica, but also traveled to race in the TCS World Championship Finals in Japan and the similar Kyosho event, I think it was in Hawaii. So if you dive into that episode, you get some really good stories from Andy uh, of those trips. You, Scotty, must have enjoyed the chance to go and, and race at that World Finals. I did. It was it was wonderful. And I have mad respect for Andy. Andy is awesome. He's I love when I get to see him. His, I don't know, his vision on on what he's created with the old school F1 and now with the, yeah. uh, the replica and everything is just, his dedication and devotion to that, um, you know, that's that's the kind of thing where a business, it'll never pay its dividends to what the hours he's put in and so meticulous. So, yeah, it, it, and he's got some amazing stuff going on. So, yeah, I have mad respect for him. He's a good fellow. Yeah, it's a passion project yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, I got to go to Japan. And uh, uh, I love Japan from when I was in the military. I was there a lot on our ship. We would go there and fell in love with the country there. And when I got a chance to, wow, if I, I got a chance to win this and I get to go <laughs> race there, you know, <clears throat> and I got to meet Mr. Tamiya and they just take care of you. Like, it's just an amazing experience. And it just, we became a huge Tamiya dealer hmm. and, um, you know, a big supporter because Tamiya put a lot of money, a lot of marketing, a lot of effort into to help the guys and market to the guys that were not, they didn't have a, you know, a racetrack like trackside around. They just run in their parking lot at the park or yep. in front of the hobby shop and stuff. And uh, I really liked that concept and everything. And then it just, it did wonders from the business side of trackside. It was wonderful because if we would attract people coast to coast would come to our big races and it was, it was wonderful. So yeah, some, some great experiences because uh, to me, uh, incredible company and then you know along with somebody perhaps like Traxxas you know do a lot of and Kyosho another I guess do a lot to expand the market down there or the public consciousness of RC uh, and then the competition specialist manufacturers are kind of you know almost coming in off the back of that 
Uh, I think we could you could make the case over the years of all of the different categories of RC that have been pioneered by Tamiya, Formula One, touring cars, all sorts of things would be examples of that. But I want to I want to charge on a little bit because you know these days you are best known as a kind of race organizer and and commentator, and you have you know that's been a kind of couple of decades kind of long story. So I want to dig into a little bit of the kind of commentary stuff of the race calling. Um, you know, and I guess my observation is that you've not quite single-handedly, but, you know, you've been one of the kind of leading proponents of that and brought that kind of the essence of what makes a wonderful environment and atmosphere at an RC race of a good caller, you know, brought that to the public consciousness. So I want to just ask you a little bit about where that came from. You know, did did that just start at Trackside, you know, kind of just telling the stories of what was happening in front of you and you, and you learnt how important good commentary is? Or what's the origin story of you and a microphone um, getting started doing that? Um, you're, you're spot on it. It started that track side. Mm. Um, you know, I had a, a racetrack and we would race, uh, back in, you know, three days a week, people would come in, we'd have our, you know, Thursday night show, Friday night show, Saturday. And, uh, so I was just calling races and things like that. And I really enjoyed doing it because it made people, you know, really enjoy the competitive side of it even more. And, I, I will I will argue with anything if you know an amazing RC race that is close and clean race and things like that. It is, it's as thrilling as any Formula One full scale or NASCAR or whatever. It's it it can be just as exciting as I said earlier. The same emotions yeah. the drivers go through. Um, so I I really just tried to uh, you know just just enjoy it and make people enjoy it and. You know, people that were sitting there watching, you know, I wanted to, to try to educate and inform them um, by, you know, not just car number six, but, you know, the name and the colored yeah. cars and stuff like that. So, um, you know, our style of qualifying is so boring, you know, go car one, <laughs> go car two, go car three. So I tried to find ways to make it entertaining to watch that. Yeah. And it would be calling lap times, call it the, the estimated, as we call in America, the, yeah. the pace. So yeah. if it's a five minute race, the computer tells you, okay, yeah. Jimmy's going to do 15 laps and 508 and stuff. Yeah. So I started doing that and, um, you know, distance between fellow racers on a, on a computer clock and stuff. And it's just, people started enjoying it. And in the late nineties, when I would travel around going to the U S nationals and stuff like that, people had heard that I, he commentated and they say, Hey, Scotty, you want to call this race or whatever? And I'm like, sure. Why not? And, uh, <laughs> it just started, it just started growing and growing and it, uh, it just kind of took on a, a life of its own and, uh, people enjoyed what I did. They, they, you know, enjoyed coming to trackside because there was a, a commentator and it's just, yeah. uh, it just really grew from there. Yeah. So how much, you know, you're known for, you know, a number of catchphrases, those sorts of things, I guess, you know, that they just come in the heat of the moment. How much of what you do when the microphone's in your hand is pre-planned and how much just bubbles out of you, out of who you are on the spur of the moment, you know, based on what's happening in front of you? I don't know what the right answer is because it sounds <laughs> bad, but really I don't, I don't script anything. I just, no. I just try to take what's what's given in front of me and try to, you know, as you said, try to tell a story, hmm. whether it be if I'm uh, the commentator for like a live RC, hmm. um, 
you know, like I do the the big, uh, there's many big races that I get hired to commentate on live or see and do. And then you tell a story or it's, it's live where I'm the commentator. I'm going down to Dallas, Texas this weekend for a big carpet on road race to, to commentate. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just what I see in front of me. And um, I, I guess being having done it for so long, it just, I don't want to say it comes naturally, but it just comes second nature or what I see. And, yeah. and my mind just, my mouth just spits stuff out. Sometimes not very good, but you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm okay it's making right. a fool of myself because I'm just, yeah. I'm just trying to, you know, it's just a passion and love I have for the hobby. What? Well, how, how much preparation you know do you find that you need to do for a big event? So so the race this weekend, do you, have you got to do a little bit of research and you know background checks on some names and things, or do you just know enough? Now you're kind of in it constantly enough that you've got a pretty fair handle on who's who and what what's been happening. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, my my experience, you know, gets me through it that I don't have to do much prep unless it's um, something um, uh, that uh, I haven't done before or a place I haven't gone to. Um, so that that really depends. Uh, you know, the the big races like I do for Live RC, like the Dirt Nitro Challenge, I'll do the end of next month. Mm-hmm. I always try to do some prep to try to, you know. Um, I can't remember who won, you know, the yeah. buggy over the last five or six years. So I'll do some prep yeah. to, to try to remember things like that. But, uh, most of the race, I just go and, and try to learn. I, I try to get there early so I can, mm-hmm. you know, see people that I haven't seen in a while and learn what's going on and then, uh, try to use what I can learn talking to the people before mm-hmm. and use that in my, my directing. How, how do you go with, uh, you know, once the event's underway, you're spending a fair chunk of your time in the booth, so to speak, and, you know, keeping track of kind of what's going on in the pits and, you know, who's saying what and who's doing what and who's feeling what about their cars or whatever is can be a little bit tricky. How do you go about keeping track of what's going on at a race when you're so focused on the screen and the racetrack in front of you? Have you got spies that you send out, Scotty, into the pits to find out what's happening? No, but I, I, I try to use my time when you know if we got around and then we got a 15 minute break or whatever i try to use that time pretty wisely to to find out what's going on and and get any tidbits that i can talking to the the top guys and things like that so uh but it's tough because you know some of the events you know like the chili bowl you know it was uh they were 18 18 and a half hour days for me you know for the every every race it's not very glamorous they think oh it's a big race but you know i'm i'm up at five and going to bed at you know midnight yeah. so it's uh it's uh, no complaints i mean i i love no, it no, it's, no. yeah it's not work for me you know because it it's truly not a job i just enjoy what i do um but i just try to learn all i can yeah. in between talking to guys when they're you know walking off the driver's stand or whatever as much as i can yeah, clean what you can. You you must have some of the fittest vocal cords on the planet. Uh, <laughs> how many days in a row of eighteen hours of almost nonstop talking? It's it's deeply impressive to me. Uh, I did a race a few years ago where I, you know by the end of the fourth day I was just croaky as I you know could hardly speak uh, once I got off the microphone. It's a, it's a challenge for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Monday after any race you talk to me and I'm like, yeah. how are you doing? But uh, <laughs> I just, um, and I get asked that question a lot, but it's pre-pandemic. It was really no problem because I think it's much like a, a, uh, and I, I put air quotes here with my fingers, like a rock, a rock star when you're on stage and you're singing every day, yeah. you know, you, you just, 
you learn how to not sing yeah. from your throat, but yeah. from your stomach and your diaphragm. And you learn how to do that. And since I'm doing it pretty much every weekend, it uh, you just get built up. But now you minus two and a half years, I didn't announce an RC car race. Yeah. Uh, coming back, getting into it. Oh, I was absolutely worried because people hire me. They expect the, the same level of enthusiasm and, you know, that. And it was uh, it was it was, it was a challenge here getting back up to speed. And I finally feel like I'm starting to get, you know, kind of my feet back under me where we were before the world shut down. You're in the groove. You're back in the groove. Yeah. We'll come back. Yeah, I want to come fine. back to that. Cause I really, in a few minutes, I want to kind of pick up on some of that around, you know, where we are as we emerge from the pandemic. So we'll come back to that in a second. I did just want to, before we leave the commentary stuff, you made the observation about, you know, sometimes doing the the kind of live stream video based work and sometimes live at the track. And so I'm just curious about, you know, how I guess how you find those things to be similar or different. You know, do you do you take a different approach when you know that you're commentating for the streaming video service as opposed to, you know, for the two hundred people that are in the room? Um, does it play in your mind much or is it pretty much the same? No, it's it it's quite different. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very different. Um, the doing it, doing it live for the people there. Um, I couldn't tell you how I do it different. I just know that I do where if I'm in the booth in a studio doing the live stream, um, I, I know I, I do it different. I still get excited. And I love, love the racing side, but, um, I, I really enjoy, I love them both. But if I have to choose one or the other, I love the the TV studio thing because I'm not only talking to the 200 people that are there at the venue, I am talking to two, three, five thousand mm. people. Yeah. And being able to, I work really hard to interact with the viewers that are online. Yeah. And it, it's it's really changed when we first started doing it, and I was doing it, you know, quite a bit different than than the other guys were the doing it interacting with the viewers you know saying hey to the guy in you know kuwait or you know india and stuff like that it makes them feel like they're part of the show they yeah. they yeah. know me and everything but for for them and they can ask questions and get input and you know during the break or whatever i'll go and i'll talk to dakota fend or ryan mayfield and you know try to get some information and i can share that with the viewers it uh it has a whole nother aspect hmm. to the commentary side for me. And it's, it's a true pleasure to be able to do it and, and hmm. share, uh, you know, I'm honored when people ask me to commentate a world championship or I came down to Australia there uh, first week of November to do the, the national championship. Hmm. Yeah. And people think uh, it's just another race, but you know, me being an American being asked to come to a different country to be the commentator for their national championship. Um, this sounds corny, but it's, I'm very honored. And yeah. I, I cherish that opportunity because it's, it's something really special. And, and it, uh, I, I, I take pride in that. And I really, it's a big honor to be able to, mm -hmm. to ask to do that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, like I said, a big honor. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I mean, you are so well known now that I guess you're one of the first people, people, first people that would be thought of the demands on you for, you know, travel and availability must be incredible. You must be away more than your home. I'm imagining. Uh, yes. I mean, it's, it's a lot. I think uh, before the pandemic, I worked about 30, 
30 weekends a year. And, uh, that's now a bit of trouble. I'm, uh, yeah. it is a lot of travel. And now, uh, I'll probably be booked more than that, but, uh, yeah, I tell yeah. everybody, uh, you know, I'm trying to take, you know, not, not having any income or working for two and a half years yeah. as it was for most people, it was pretty devastating. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm working as much as I can. Uh, my yeah. good friend, Tyler hooks, who works at J concepts. Now he, uh, yeah, he, I did live RC, a lot of the broadcasts with him and he, he gave me a new nickname, a new slogan is, uh, if you're paying, I'm saying, so, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking every job I can just to, you know, just to try to survive and come back from that, that, that crazy time. Pretty crazy time. Uh, so you, you mentioned being down in Australia for, uh, in November for the nationals. And I, you know, I think you've probably been down here a few times now over the, over the years. And I guess I'm, you know, from a purely parochial kind of self-interest point of view, I'm curious about what you're making of the Australian RC scene, how it, how you're seeing it develop, you know, who are some of the, the talents that you're kind of noticing uh, on your trips? Um, what it, How do you kind of process what you're seeing in Australia when you come to visit? I've had uh, the pleasure of coming down for many, many years, mm -hmm. and um, it's usually just on-road stuff that I've done. Um, I'm really uh, keen to try to get some eight scale buggy mm. stuff done there. Um, we're going to get our, um, we're kicking off our Asian on-road championship in Brisbane here mm. in a couple months and hoping to get the, the nitro version going. Um, but I love going down there because I see, I, I see where the hobby was many, many years ago in my shop and things like that. in a lot of places in Australia, that you know the the fam they work really hard to get families and kids in it yeah um i uh i went i was uh invited uh by i met uh, a family tony firth i met yeah, uh, um, yeah. a couple of years ago um and uh we became good friends and um he uh they brought me down to their pdnr race that they had, uh, when was it? Mid uh, May last year. Yeah, something May, like that. That'd be that yeah. yeah. And I was, I I don't know what adjective, uh, <laughs> floored, amazed, <laughs> uh, speechless. Yeah. To to what they 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 race in a parking lot in yeah. a park, you know, they had an Olympic Park there parking lot, and when I arrived and I rolled up and I saw what that club did to an empty parking lot. I said straight up, we were still in a car. I said to Tony, Tony, if Ronald Volker and Mark Reinhardt rolled up here for this on road, you could hold the world championship here. And that's, that was no BS. Yeah. That was no, just trying to make them feel good. It was, I was absolutely impressed. Mm -hmm. And th that club led by Tony and, and the guys, they just, they get it. And they're trying to, they're trying to expand the hobby on all levels, not just at the top level, but at all level, whether it be junior class or kids or short course or whatever, they're doing it. And they've, and Tony really gets it that he's reached out to the other clubs to try to get everybody to work together. And, you know, I've seen it around the world at tracks or clubs or whatever, you know, they, they always compete against each other, but that's not the right way to do it. You know, it's trying to get everybody to together to help for the greater good. Yeah. And he has really started to change the way people are thinking. And he got the, 
the guys, Matt from the off-road club that's in the area to yep. come down. They helped. And now Tony and the PD and our guys went up to help them with their big race they had. Yeah. And it was just so refreshing, so impressive. Yeah. And it's just, it's the way it needs to be. And these guys are absolutely raising the bar to weigh the way racing can be and everybody can work together. The The RC pie is only so big. And if everybody works together, they can grow it to be a bigger pie. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, absolutely was, was speechless from what the PDNR and uh, the club there. It was amazing. There, there are some wonderful clubs around the country in Australia and they, they would be right at the forefront. I think of, you know, particularly around that, as you've noticed, the kind of atmosphere that they're trying to work to create, the way they're trying to involve families and children and, you know, all of that side of it. Um, yeah, extraordinary club. Great team, uh, Tony and the crew at PDNR, for sure. Uh, let's keep going with that that kind of Australia scene for a minute. I want to come back to some history stuff in a minute, but you mentioned there the Asian On-Road Championship. So let's have a little bit of a chat about that. It's the first round for 2023 it's coming up in the next few weeks in my hometown in Brisbane, Australia. It's the first time the series has run for a couple of years. Scotty, tell me how much you're looking forward to the race. What can we expect for this event and the series? You know, what's what's what are we looking forward to with this Asia On Road Championship for 2023? It was tough when when RC kind of got shut down with the yeah. mess and the pandemic and everything, and uh, it's been a a struggle to to kind of get things going again. I didn't know when is the right time to do it. Um, but you know, uh, leading up there in, uh, you know, October, November, November, when I went there, there was still a lot of restrictions and traveling and, you know, obviously uh, they lessen, lessen, and now uh, the turn of the new year came and everything. And, and most stuff is, is pretty much open. So yep. we kind of waited for that. Um, I was, uh, we went to Brisbane for the first time for the Asian nitro championship. And it was another club that was just, fantastic um they welcomed us with open arms um you know a group of guys that are just dedicated to to try to you know give the best experience that they can in facility um i mean that facility is you know it's uh, pretty good oh yeah it's just (laughs) when i went there and i saw the sunken pit lane and everything and yeah oh it's just it was amazing so um when i had the opportunity to kind of get this thing going again um, in the past, we always did the AOC on, uh, indoor carpet. Um, but the, the cost was just too prohibitive nowadays yeah. to be able to do it. So I said, okay, we're going to do it a different time of year. We'll do it outdoors. And I was like, okay, we had a great time at Brisbane. The club was great. I said, let's open it there and do that. And, um, you know, we said, we're getting it going. So it's, it's still a bit of a, uh, a struggle to get things going. We're uh, still working to get the sponsors kind of behind and everything like that. Yep. But uh, the entries are, I looked last night, uh, it was 157 already. Um, I, uh, I was approached in, Ooh, maybe October. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe October or September, whatever. Mark Reinhardt, uh, I was at a race and Mark was there. He's like, Scott, are you going to get the, the AOC going again. And, uh, you ever going to do a race down in Australia? Cause Mark had never been to Australia. Okay. Said, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to put the pieces together to, to make it happen. And, uh, I says, why would you be interested in going? He's like, yeah, I'd love to go. He's never been to Australia. <laughs> and there's, uh, the big TITC race in Thailand. Um, that is legendary. I used to go race it a lot as a racer. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
and it's just a legendary race. Well, all them guys always go there. And it's like, you know, is there any chance he could do it the week after? Because then I'm already in Thailand. Hmm. I could just, you know, buy two separate tickets, you know, round trip from Thailand and then just fly to Australia back. You know, would that, is that possible? So I started working on it and everything and reached out to the club and they said, yeah. So, um, it's going to be cool. And Mark Reinhardt, uh, who's obviously a legend in the on-road racing world yes. and, uh, it's going to make his first trip to Australia. So it's really cool. And I'm expecting to see uh, a few more big names. I saw Ryan Baker, yeah. uh, that posted a video. He's, uh, coming out of retirement. To, oh, fantastic. To so that's really cool. <laughs> and, uh, just found out yesterday, Nicholas Lee is going to be coming down from Singapore. Right. So, um, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a good, good race and I'm excited to kick it off and try to get the the racing going again. Um, I'm hoping this first year we can get three races going, um, the series, not, uh, not the full six, like we had, I think in 2024, we'll be able to get maybe to four or five, maybe six depends. We are going to go to Korea in June. So, um, there's a, a great check in, in Seoul, Korea that we go to called GRC. Okay. And it's just, it's a beautiful outdoor asphalt track and it's really, really beautiful. So we're going to go there to, I think it's the 22nd through the 25th of June. Okay. Uh, uh, and then I, I hope they get, you know, a couple other places. Uh, there's a couple beautiful tracks in China, but China's still yeah, it's tricky. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's still tricky. And, and I don't think till maybe third or fourth quarter of this year, it's going to be kind of back to tourism and things yeah. like that. So maybe we can get a race there in 2024, but I'm excited to to kind of slowly build the series up and get some of the big names from around the world coming to it. Fantastic. I, I do just want to pick up on just a couple of comments around the Brendale story, the the you know the racetrack in Brisbane where we're coming. Just finished or just in the finishing process of doing a little bit of history documentation and mapping of all of the racetracks that have ever existed in Australia, uh, both present and past, and. One of the things that strikes me from that exercise of a place like Brendale, that you know, that club has been in place for so long. They had one or two prior venues, you know, in the very late seventies, early eighties, but they've been there and have just such a rich history now, being in that place and steadily developing the facility. Hosted the World Championships a couple of times, so there's this the history of being in the place and the continuity and the the DNA in the club now of, you know, we're, we're here, we've been here a long time and we put on these big races, we know how to do it. Um, and the facility as, you know, as you've observed. So yeah, wonderful racetrack, great club, great history. Um, I put my entry in last night. I've managed to borrow a car from a friend and I'm looking forward to, uh, I haven't been on a on-road racetrack since 2014. So uh, I'll be sideways jumping off the curbs, but it'll be a good time. Uh, looking forward to that race. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you're going to be able to join. It's going to be wonderful. And, and as we said, that club is, is just top notch and I'm yeah. so excited to be back there. So let's keep kind of reflecting on this post COVID scene, because, you know, we've talked about that with respect to the Asian on-road series, but you know, generally, I guess I'm curious how you see the kind of health of things around the world and in terms of the international scene, what's the bounce back like, um, you know, in terms of the races you're involved in? You've got EOS and ETS coming up in the next few weeks, that big double header. How's the health of things around the world in the this post-COVID period? Um, really strong and people absolutely want to travel again and race. Hmm. Um uh, our EOS and ETS that's coming up next week. I fly over for that. Um, we're at record entries. I mean, it's, it's just, 
through the roof and, you know, people, people want to go to international race meetings. They want to race against uh, the best in not only their region in the world. And I think, um, you know, our, our events that we do and are just are different than, you know, the, the normal that the, the people have, which wherever they are. So I think that's part of the draw. Um, people have been cooped up so long and they're just, they want to experience life again. So it's, it's very strong. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as we get through 2023 into 2024, it's even going to go more. I just saw on redrc.net. I saw that, uh, they announced, uh, a sun Padau race that's held in shaman every year. Um, so China's having their first big race later in this year. So it's, it's really a, a sign that people, they definitely want to want to travel. And, and I've, ever since I announced the AOC, I get uh, messages, Hey, are you doing more races in that side of the region? And uh, I think, I think the hobby is in itself is very strong. The companies during COVID pick a company in the RC industry. It doesn't matter. Associated, low C, Mugent, whatever. They had record years, hmm. absolutely staggering amount of volume that they did because people love the hobby. They wanted to do it. They just found different hobbies within the hobby, yeah. you know, started drag racing or whatever, flying planes or whatever, uh, stuff that you can do just at their home. And it was, uh, yeah, the hobbies, the hobby's doing very well. Big explosion in the kind of vintage, you know, re-release that kind of nostalgia market too, you know, incredible yeah. number of people building old race cars while we we're all locked up in our, in our lounge rooms, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so Scotty, just, just talk to me a little bit about that the ethos of the events that you put on you just kind of made some comments there about you know those events that you put on and i guess we're thinking things like eos and ets but some of the you know the big races you do in the us as well what is the ethos that you're going for what's the kind of feel the vibe that you know that you're trying to do with those races that maybe does distinguish them from some of the big sanctioned events um just try to make it as fun as it should be hmm. uh, a lot of the big sanctioned events it's not about fun. And I learned it in my, in my early years going over to, to Europe. When I first started going over there, Ephra, Ifmar, they hated me. They, they did not like me at all because here's this loud talking American coming over here. And they're, they're from the old school thinking that the, the races should be quiet, solemn, serious, no fun. And you know, I went over there in my first couple of races and, you know, here I'm just, you know, excited and, and laughing and, you know, Hey, good job. You know, good marshalling over there, stuff like that, you know, yeah, yeah. just to try to try to make it fun that it, that's, that's why we do the hobby. And it really, uh, it really resonated with people that, wow, this is like totally different than, than what we normally, you know, have. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a struggle for me to do international races, especially in Europe for a long time that, uh, it, uh, yeah, I was not looked, uh, looked well upon <laughs> by uh, some of the powers that be in the, uh, in the organizations over there. But, uh, you know, through the years, they, they kind of, they kind of saw it after, you know, it was, it was three, four, five years that they finally started getting it. And, uh, it was, you know, um, you know, some of the guys would, you know, start saying stuff I did, you know, I would say and stuff and, and they, they realized that it can be fun, exciting. And, yeah. uh, and so it's, 
you know, that's that's the kind of story for for yeah, that. Yeah. I look forward to certainly look forward to my first uh race uh in Brisbane in a few weeks' time with you on the microphone. That'll that'll be fun. I look forward to that. I do just want to pick up uh pick your brains a little bit about world championship racing. We're you know, we're we're bouncing back into the international scene. We've seen the first few worlds take place in twenty twenty two. In a couple of cases the numbers were a little bit low, but it looks like twenty twenty three is gonna be another big year at that world championship level highlighted i guess by the 10th off-road worlds at hobby action in the us that's going to be something pretty special i think what's what's you know what are you thinking there as you look forward to the the kind of world championship races in 2023 what are you looking forward to the most uh that 10 scale race is yep. it's going to be next it's going to be next level for sure first of all um larry tom the guy who owns hobby action uh an amazing amazing venue i mean uh just amazingly clean everywhere it's yeah. bright uh it's right in the heart of the city so it's it's great on on all aspects uh the day it was announced i got a call from live rc saying hey scotty um you know you want to come you want to come do this so um i'm going to be the the on-air host for, for that so i'm i'm pretty excited because it's going to be you know that'll be one of the the highly it'll that'll start drawing some eight scale buggy yeah. world championship numbers because that's the the number one former racing worldwide eight scale buggy, hmm. especially for the viewers that we see on live yep. RC. Um, yep. so it'll that'll be the that'll be the numbers. And uh as soon as as soon as it was announced, I was uh where was I? Was I in the UK doing EOS? There, I, I was at a race and people started asking me, Hey, what's what's going on? You know, <laughs> what, what airport do we fly to? And everything, I'm like, Whoa, guys, you know, America's pretty big. I, it's a long way, but um, you just know, fly to LA and drive, it'll be fun, yeah, <laughs> right? Um, so that's going to be uh, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty exciting. One, uh, um, I'm hoping to come to Australia to uh, announce the uh, the GT world, yeah going to have down there at more bank i think it is yeah another uh, wonderful wonderful racetrack there as well yeah absolutely so um i'm hoping that uh that i can get that gig to come down there and and take part and be part of the yeah. that world championship but i think i think everything's rolling now and um you know attendance is good definitely going to be up i mean a 10 scale one of course but i think to uh all the other ones in 2024 um there's going to be the you know uh just more and more races going on. We're gonna have the the eight scale worlds are gonna be in uh Japan for an on-road yeah. at Infinity Raceway. Uh that is gonna be uh epic, epic event. So um I got uh I got hired to announce I'll be the track announcer okay. and MC that locally there. So I'm really excited to go. As I mentioned earlier, I love Japan. So to be able to go there for a world championship is gonna be fantastic. And uh, and you're doing a bit of eight scale on road racing yourself, right? So that's a class that's you know probably close to home for you at the moment. It is, yes. I uh, I fell in love with that uh, a couple of years ago. I uh, I got a car when I, I really fell in love with it when uh, we're doing our Asian Nitro uh, Championship Series, and um, like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. So uh, <laughs> I got a car and everything, and man, that was a uh, I should have never done that because that is. Uh, 12 scale is probably my favorite class all time mm. um, until I ran eight scale on road because <laughs> to have a car going 60, 70 miles an hour, I don't know that what it is in kilometers, but you know, and 
two speeds and everything. And just to be on your tiptoes for 30 minutes or a 45 minute final that knowing that if you blink at the wrong time, you know, you're going to destroy your car. And at the end of the day, you look at your hands and they're black with grease and dirt (laughs) because you worked on a real, it feels like I worked on a real race car and it's just, Oh, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. Uh, absolute joy and just a lot of fun. Most excellent. Most excellent. Um, I just want to drag you back to the 10th worlds for a minute. I'm going to try and pin you down here. Um, what what do you think we're going to see? Is this is almost feels to me like you know the most hotly anticipated ten scale off road worlds in years. What do you think we're going to see? Do you, you know, is there so much of a home ground advantage that it's going to be a straight kind of you know team associated TLR battle between the best US drivers? You know, is there enough in a control tire situation that means we're going to see someone like Mikhail Olowski, you know, right at the sharp end of the field? What what do you think we're going to see at this worlds? In my heart, I I want there to be, you know, you know, three Americans, three Europeans, you know, a couple guys from Japan, uh, Australian, you know, I, I want a full mix. Yeah. Um is there gonna be a home field advantage? I think you'd be wrong to say no. Hmm. I think there will be. Hmm. Uh, but I think Larry, the owner of Hobby Action, is is wise enough that they're gonna come up with a program to eliminate that the best they can. Yeah. Uh, tire additive and things like that is a huge deal yeah. at indoor tracks in America. Uh, according to IFMAR rules, as I understand them, tire additive is not allowed. Okay. Um, I don't think that's going to be able to be a, they're going to have to have additive again. This is just me talking. I have no yeah. second information or whatever. Um, I think with their dirt indoor dirts in America, you have to have additive, but we 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 faced that problem in electric touring car at the Reedy race mm. where additive and gizmos and you know if you put tire warmers on for 10 minutes and two seconds it was better yeah. uh, and then if you stood on one foot and did it it's even better um so we eliminated that by doing a tire impound you take your cars to tech with no tires you get your t- your tires are in a bag. Scotty, here's your tires. You put them on. When the official says put additive, boom, you put additive. So everybody had the same voodoo that they were doing yep. to their tires. So, again, I have no secondhand information in this, but I think that's what they're going to do. Like Some we ended up controls. doing at the Reedy yeah. Race. They did it at the Worlds. Yep. So I think it can be controlled to make it fair for everyone. Yep. Um, so I, Unreal. I think. I think advantage will be because locals that live there, the Mayfields and Rivkins and stuff like that, that that's their home track. Hmm. They know how the dirt progresses, how it changes from day to day. Um, Is it unfair? Absolutely not. Because that's their home track. That's just like, that's how it is. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Correct. If, uh, you know, if, if Lostalo in Switzerland is your home track and you've got a thousand laps on that track, Yep. All right, that's that's the way it that's is. That's been the way it is. Yeah, but uh, I know Larry and his team will do everything to make it the absolute best world champion. And I agree with you that it's going to be most highly anticipated and and something that it's it's going to be something that we haven't seen in a long time. Any uh, any young or emerging U.S. talent that you know think we need to keep an eye on through the year that might just bring a surprise at that world? I guess I'm you know I I don't know 
the people, but names like Tater Sontag or Aiden Horn or Tom Rindernecht or, you know, some of these emerging talents. Scotty, who's who could spring a surprise for this event? It's uh, and I I think that's going to be the storyline. Honestly, yeah. I think yeah. there's going to be one or two of these young guns that really surprise everyone. And, you know, and there's guys now that are putting in the time, you know, I, I see them on all the social media, you know, of just practice and putting in the time and, and those guys that you mentioned, and there's, there's numerous other ones that are just really coming to the forefront and, and giving the, the veterans, you know, such a run. So I, I think it's going to be the the story that there's going to be a couple young people that maybe didn't have their, their chance in the spotlight that they're, uh, they're going to have the chance and and give the 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 veterans and uh, you know kids yeah. like uh, Kalorowski as you mentioned you know that they're going to give them a run and um, it's going to it's going to add to the story that we tell yeah yeah uh, watch it I'm I'm so excited and some extraordinary young talent coming out of Europe too at the moment isn't there you know, I mean the UK someone like uh, Tommy Hall or oh, um, you know the some Hall of boys yeah. Uh, I was just talking to Patrick Beck, uh, one of our guys on our ETS EOS team, and we were going over the entries for our EOS, and it's going to be it's stuck, a European it? championship. Yeah. <laughs> Bruno Coelho is the only one that's not going to be there. Okay. Um, so it's it's awesome um, that, you know, it's going to be so strong. I wish Bruno could make it, but uh, Martin Bayer is coming, so we're going to have some X-ray guys back. Right. That's good to hear. Uh, well, really, yeah. Uh, Martin Bayer, I was talking to him just the other day. Him and Hoopo are coming, a couple other guys. So, you know, of all the names of European 10-scale off-road, it's a who's who. Um, there's, It's it's going to be amazing. It's going to be. I heard. I saw, I think, that Brock Champlin's heading over as well from the U.S. There might be some U.S. drivers over there for the, for this next EOS race. Yeah, that's what they're they're trying to make that happen. I know he's got an entry in, so yeah, yeah. I hope they can put all the pieces together to get him there. It'd be great. So just before we leave the worlds, it's early, it's January, so there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. But right now, can I pin you down to a prediction? You know who who do you oh. think is favorite right now uh, for this worlds? Oh, no, you know, Ten you months can't, away. You can't. Oh come on! No, nobody's listening. Oh. Nobody's listening. Uh, nobody's listening. Just you and I <laughs> chatting, right? Just you and I. Um, I mean, you you, you look at. You look at who's on fire right now is Dakota Fenn. Yeah. I mean, that's the name um, you know, for he, me, isn't it? That, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's winning everything, you know, yep. and, and he's finally now putting the races together uh, that and winning the big events. He was yep. always up there, but then it was, yep. a, you know, just a small, small little mistakes and everything. But yep. now he's just, he's the yep. man to beat. So, um, you know, and, and the, the Fenn family is a, a great part of my history. I mean, I I met them when Dakota was, we were just talking. I, I, his folks were at a, at a race. I was at beach RC for the uh, masters of the dirt mm-hmm. the end of yep. last year. And uh, Nancy and Doug is his folks there. And we we're trying to figure out when I first met him. I think it was like 2007 out on the West coast in uh, Washington state. And, uh, you know, I've watched him grow through the years and it's just, you know, and now, now is his time. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, the we became very close to family because every time I would see him, his mom Nancy would take a picture of Dakota. So he's you know seven years old. So he's you know just so short. And every year <laughs> you know we take pictures and everything. And I and his mom, you have to make a a photo album of all these pictures through the years. So it's great to see him finally. You know, just at the pinnacle, 
he's put in so much time and and such an amazing talent and such a great kid. Uh, I, I, I call them kids, you know, it means yeah, I'm first, right. it means I'm really old. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, for sure, he's, he's gotta be, if you, if he, you look at the odds and the favorite, you gotta go Dakota. He does from the outside and from a distance and you know, these guys, I don't know them obviously, but he feels like right now he's the complete package and you would think, you know, with eight, nine, 10 months to go, it's going to take a whole lot of work for anyone to kind of, to knock him off, uh, to knock him off is going to be, you know, quite the effort. And it's almost that if you beat Fenn, you're going to be world champion. Um, Maybe. Anyway, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Then, but then again, they got, you know, kids like Mikhail Orlowski, who's, yeah. you know, on that side of the world, absolutely, you know, at, at the top of his game. Yeah. So, you know, if, if things play out and it's, you know, he's going to be obviously an outsider coming in, but, you know, uh, a kid like him, you know, he could, he could surely do it too. Plus all the veterans and everything, you know, I think, yeah. you know, Mayfield doesn't run a lot of 10 scale, mainly known for his eight scale, obviously it's, two-time world champion everything but with the world's coming to his backyard he's going to be putting in the time so um it's just going to make for you know the greatest 10 scale worlds in you know a decade probably it's yeah, going to be great a long time i think it's going to be fantastic yeah. so you pointed there to a couple of little interesting um kind of people and some inter-team movements over the christmas period the so-called silly season you know some big moves yeah. around the eight scale scene uh Batia and tebow to mayaka mayfield to techno that's a big one uh cave out of tlr and over to wrc on the 10 scale side not so many big changes although a couple of those guys mayfield uh, will and tebow will, i guess will be free to run whatever they want cav and lee martin to schumacher who do you feel like's made the most interesting moves over this kind of silly season who are you most looking forward to seeing get to work with their new team in the next couple of months I think um, it's gonna it's gonna show Mayfield's hmm. true ability and talent yep. to um, change platforms like that to go to a new company. And you know he had an amazing relationship with Adam Drake. Hmm. Um, they were you know they were you know left hand right hand. They just yeah. worked together um, and did a you know an amazing job. So that was a that was a huge change. And it was uh, the biggest shock to me. There's like they had such such a partnership going. But uh, I just saw uh, they had uh, the sick race this last yeah, week. Yeah, on the weekend. This yeah. weekend. And I saw a post that uh, Mike Truy, um, who is a, a veteran, you know, uh, been around the block as much as any of the guys, he was there. So if Truy is going to be kind of Mayfield's new kind of right-hand man and everything, I think he'll – He'll pick up where he left off. Yeah. Obviously, he had, he had good results this weekend. Yeah. At the race, but you know he'll he'll do really well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what what Jared and the guys can do going to Mayako. Mm. Um, that's going to be uh, really interesting to to see how how that works out for them. Um, I think uh, time will tell mm. if it'll you know they'll be able to to do that. Um, I think Jared's keeping his uh, his same mechanic and everything, so that'll be a a big help yep. to them because that is such a an important piece of the puzzle to do that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. But those guys are at the the pinnacle of of that level of racing. So um, they didn't get where they are just uh, you know by the car. They no matter what they drive, they they reach to the yeah. they reach the top. There's there's talent and talent will out in the end. Yeah, Absolutely. lots to look forward to in this season. That lies ahead of us. I do, uh, if I may, want to. I want to kind of rewind a little bit because one of the things that in this podcast we try to do is 
you know, pay attention to some of the long kind of history, uh, the the long term stories and the wonderful moments in our sport over many, many years. And, you know, as a person who's been around the sport now for 30 plus years and you've been at a lot of these big races, I couldn't let the opportunity go, Scotty, just to ask you, you know, can you pick out one or two, I guess what I would characterize of, you know, as being the most significant races that, you know, that you've been around or witnessed over your time. And, you know, for me, I guess I think things like Surikhan's first world championships in South Africa or, you know, that incredible Hara win in the off-road worlds in the US in 2008 that almost marked an emergence of the new, of a new era in the sport. So I'm curious, you know, you know, looking back over your time, your history, all your experience, you know, are there a couple of race meetings, events that stand out to you as being really significant, really interesting, absolute high points um, of your time around the sport? Yeah, there's there are sure there's something that come to mind. You mentioned uh, Hara's win in Charlotte in 2008. That was the first real big live RC hmm. production, and uh, myself and my my dear friend Charlie Sawanka were the hosts of that one. And that was uh, that was great because that was like um, I've announced some eight scale races, but never a, a long race like that where telling the story was. That's where I first learned about that you know hour-long main and things like that and rewind to that race where hara for the first half of the race wasn't even on the leaderboard just not seen at all was he no no not not seen at all and and truly was the the fast one and he he got that that one little step up jump before the sandbox section that he really he did it in qualifying and then and like one qualifier and then didn't do it at all for the rest of the race till the till the final um and then that's you know you really learned what pitch strategy and runtime and stuff like that, because then Hara was one or two less stops, whatever it ended up being. And all of a sudden now, you know, 25 minutes to go, whatever Hara's, you know, moving to the top. So that was, that was an epic race. Um, the, uh, the Mark Ryan art of sushi Hara race in uh, Bangkok, Thailand, yeah. 2000. <laughs> what an incredible race. race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, you know, that was absolutely amazing. Uh, every time if you youtube it uh it's like the, it's called the greatest race in the world and yeah uh nick damon and john they they voiced over me and um <laughs> if you you know it was it was an amazing race but if you you if you watch the video you know on youtube you listen in background you can hear me but uh yeah they voiced over and that was just an an epic race you know because it was just the story kind of told itself and it built into a crescendo there at the end and, you know, when Mark put that pass on and he was, you know, hundred percent on the curbing and made it stick. And then if you watch it closely, the second half of that lap, Mark really screwed up right before the sweeper mm. and Hara would have, would have passed him, but Hara tried cutting too tight and turn wheel was on a yeah. curb and flipped it yeah. over. Otherwise he probably would have got back, but you know, that's another one that just, you know, really, really stands out. And, uh, you know, just, you know, some of the amazing races I've been able to, to be part of. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a big honor for sure. It's, there's something about, uh, I mean, I'm going to use the word Titanic, like, you know, that's that battle between Reinhardt and Hara that you talked about, you know, these two guys just, just knocked down drag out Titanic battle, um, extraordinary to watch. And you know, you're right. You can go to YouTube and find the video and even today, watch it back. And it's, uh, incredible to see. Uh, it's been a little while yeah. since I've watched back that 2008 Worlds 
final in Charlotte, the Hara race, but I feel like that might be what I'm doing later on tonight just to relive that. That was an incredible race, you know, that he came from nowhere, buried in the field early and just, you know, relentless in his kind of march to the front. Um, those those kinds of races are memorable, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the weather was horrific that week. Mm. We ended up having boots. Our live receipt trailer got stuck in the mud. The internet didn't work. We, I mean, we had to, <laughs> we had to go. We we flew a guy to Ohio to get a satellite truck, drove that because the internet was terrible, just so we could do the broadcast. And it was raining, and the track conditions changed daily there. And uh, oh, it was just you know the surface was so different. They had the sand section, they had the big log timber section. I mean, it was it was just an epic epic race. And yeah, um, yeah, one of one of the for sure one of the greatest eight scale buggy um, finals ever. It's, uh, I mean, the story you're telling there just almost takes us back to the beginning of what is what is wonderful about RC, doesn't it? That, you know, there are people behind the scenes that nobody knows the story of that guy who, you know, flew off to get that truck. But yeah. there are people who are so passionate, so driven, so committed, you know, to putting on a great event and a great show and all of those things. Um, and whether that's at PDNR in a car park in Western Sydney or in a field in Charlotte uh, or in an inner city suburban racetrack in Thailand, whatever it is, there are people all over the world making RC amazing. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. With, without question. It was, that's what makes it so special. Mm. Scotty, two final questions before we wrap up and I'll let you uh, get on with your evening and you've got a lot coming up in the next few weeks. The first one is that it occurs to me that you're pretty ideally placed to comment on what's something of a perennial question, which is, will RC racing ever break into a more, I guess, mainstream consciousness or media coverage? You know, we've seen some other niche hobbies, things like drone racing or esports, you know, start to break out into that, what we might call mainstream. Um, we've seen things like the Mid-America Outdoors race last year. We've seen RCGP trying to build you know, a different, fresh approach to kind of marketing and, you know, and promotion of the sport, the hobby. What, where do you, from your perspective, you know, where, where do you see all this? What do you think it will take to succeed for RC to break into, um, or to at least break out of its own tiny little box? Well, we're, we're farther along than we ever have been that, uh, that's for sure. Um, with, um, the broadcast services that are, that are out there, um, the live RCs, uh, Matt and the guys at control do an amazing job to try to, um, you know, showcase our hobby to the people outside our world of racing. Um, uh, Brandon Rody from live RC worked out a deal with, uh, Mav TV. You mentioned a vision race. You know, we had that on the, the motorsports TV of America here where we had a 30 minute show or 45 minute show i think it was that was on broadcast tv that was 100 rc yeah uh, and so that's that's never been done before so it's mm. it's really we finally broke through you know the first curtain to be able to to get there mm. um now we have to find the outside companies that that do show interest wow this is pretty cool yeah. uh kids are interested in this to see if we can take it to the next level where it can be really a mainstream thing, you know, where, you know, in between the supercross races, you know, they're, yeah. they're showing, uh, you know, RC race and stuff like that. So we're farther, we're farther ahead than we've ever been. We still have a long way to go, but with the, the coming of social media and everything like that, it's really starting to be where 
people outside our hobby see it, they see a value in it. I'm putting it on TV or on videos and things like that. So I think we're farther ahead than we ever been. And I, I think it's going to go even more. It is an ex- it's an extraordinary thing to me that I can sit in my lounge room in Brisbane, Australia, uh, and ride every turn, every corner, every jump, you know, of a of a indoor carpet tennis car race in on the other side of the planet in real time. It's what a what a world, what a time we live in, Scotty. It's incredible, isn't it? Uh, it, it absolutely is. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So one last question then, uh, I guess a little bit related, crystal ball time. You know, I'm just curious about where you see us heading over the next five, six, seven years. You know, by 2030, what what does RC racing look like? Race formats, technology maybe, different categories becoming more popular. What what do you, what do you think is coming down the line uh, in these next in next Ooh, number of years? Boy. I wish I could. I wish I could <laughs> forecast something like that. My goodness. Um, I think the opportunity for us to hold events in more public places uh, is going to come more prevalent because I think the, the world is kind of closing in in some ways where yeah. everybody's on their phones or on their computers and, and not getting out as much. And I think uh, venues and companies and things like that are going to be looking for ways to, to get more entertainment at their events. So I think there's a, a good chance for that. Um, technology for sure is going to change it. If we look, you know, the big step, it went from brushed motors to brushless, what that did, the lipos. Uh, I hope we can get away from lipo batteries soon and get to something much safer. Um, yeah. you know, so I hope technology is is out there. I think that's going to be a, a pretty big thing in the next three years, probably. There'll be some, there's some stuff out there now that yeah. is, you know, is is out there that I think once it, it it gets hold, our industry will embrace it. But I don't see that for at least the long side of two years, maybe three years. Yeah. yeah. I, hope, I hope that happens. Um, and I, I, I just, I think, I think we can, we are going to get it out in a public more yeah. and it's going to continue to grow. Whether the youth of the world will embrace it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Everybody wants the, the kids needs nowadays wants instant satisfaction. They don't want to, you know, if it breaks, they don't, they don't want to put the time in to build it. So that's the, the challenge to us older people to, to teach, but uh, I think it can be done. Lots and lots and lots to look forward to. Uh, Scotty, it's just been an absolute delight to chat with you. I, um, it's to my shame that it's taken this long to ever meet with you or speak with you, but I do live on the other side of the world. So there you go. Thank you so much for joining me for a chat, uh, for a bit of a two or three year own story uh, and to dig in a little bit into what's going on in the world of RC. Um, it's been a delight to chat. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, you're, your style of, of podcast and everything I really think is, you know, telling the story with guys like me that have been in a hobby for a long time. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's really a, a cool angle to go to. And I really appreciate, you know, the time that you put in and heck, I get to meet you in a couple months there. And, uh, when we bring the ALC there to England park, I can't wait. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Uh, folks, thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, another special guest and a great chat to look forward to. If you're in Australia or in Asia and you can get yourself to Brenda to England Park for that Asian on-road championship race first weekend in March, 
but in the world of RC, lots and lots of big races to look forward to over the next few weeks. Uh, Scotty Ernst, again, thank you for joining us. And folks, we'll be back with you next Wednesday. Thank you very much.